A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Andy J Podcast. This week we have two very special guests for you. The first is a very funny man. A man who I find incredibly engaging, hugely entertaining, and a man who's decided to do some, well, some ways of entertaining the nation despite the fact that we're all locked down. He is the hilarious Marcus Bridgestock. Now, I'm sure plenty of you will be fully aware of Marcus's hilarity and all the shows that he does and has done historically. But if you're not, I highly recommend you check him out on YouTube. He is just pure comedy. He's just a really funny guy, lucky fella. The second one, well, needs no introduction. Formula One 2016 world champion, the remarkable Nico Rosberg. Now, let me just tell you a little something about Nico. During his racing days, and and those of you that are aware of my career, you'll know that I've spent a good decade in and around pit lanes, hosting and anchoring various different racing categories for the likes of ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, and so on. Now, Nico, and I know lots and lots of people that have had the pleasure of his company over the years, Nico, when racing, was kind of the Iceman. He was the guy that really never cracked a smile, never told a joke. You never saw him in any sort of fun, playful, engaging, entertaining mood. And so that was my thinking going into this chat. And I'll tell you, the people that arranged this for me, because a lot of these celebrities need a lot of booking up. You have to go through reams of different people, not just kind of texting them, but you have to speak to their people and their people's people and la di da di da Nico was one of them. There was a whole chain of command that I had to get through before I was finally allowed to speak to Nico. And before the conversation, there were a whole load of do not ask him abouts that, that I was simply, you know, it was very clear, Andy, you can't ask him about this, that and the other. One of those being Formula One and Lewis Hamilton. And I was like, well, how am I going to speak to a Formula One world champion and not bring up the fact that he was an F1 racer? And they were like, okay, well, yeah, but just don't don't sort of spend any time on this. Slight compromise. However, you'll hear from the conversation, well, Nico was fabulous. And Nico was the one that was happy to talk about pretty much everything on that list that I was told don't go by. He brought it up. He enabled those chats. And his people have listened to it subsequently and said, fair enough. Lovely cat, lovely chat. Enjoyed that. Well done. So that was nice. And it, it kind of meant I didn't need to panic quite so much about other things I shouldn't speak to him about. Anyway, nonetheless, I thought Nico was fantastic. Really loved Marcus. Don't get me wrong. I don't want this to take away from Marcus. He's great fun. But Nico Rosberg, my word properly properly engaging entertaining fascinating funny he's got a great sense of humor enough from me enjoy the show the andy j podcast hello there welcome to driven here on talk radio with me andy j now my goodness today is one of those pinch yourself moments you know sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're just like wow today's really really cool well 
that's me today because we have two incredibly special guests to be talking to today. The first man that we'll be chatting to is a man who is so funny, I would consider him one of the UK's funniest human beings. So funny, I'm going to quantify this for you properly. I have paid to see him make me laugh more than twice. So, you know, just let that one settle on you. The other one is the 2016 Formula One world champion, Mr. Nico Rosberg. And I think you're going to hear from him in a way that you have never heard him speak before. Let's do this, shall we? This is Driven here on Talk Radio with me, Andy J. Driven with Andy J. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? I am elated to welcome my very first guest. He's a superstar. He's a very tall man. In fact, he fulfills the tall, dark and handsome thing. Plus, also happens to be very funny. No pressure at all then. Welcome, Mr. Marcus Bridgestock. How are you doing, Marcus? Morning. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you, man? You know, alive and kicking. Delighted to be talking to you. I mean, it's as simple good. as that, really. How's, how's your kind of lockdown? Because you guys have been busy at home. You've been doing all sorts of fun things, but, but you didn't get there immediately, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, my wife, Rachel Paris, and I have been doing loads of uh, tough stuff. You know, to begin with, we, we both had coronavirus. And then uh, as we started to get better, we made a load of lip sync videos that kind of blew up and went viral. And we ended up on, bizarrely, on uh, Good Morning America. Yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've just been kind of, you know, like everybody else in the in our business, just trying to work out, okay, well, how do we carry on doing what we're doing to the best of our ability and, you know, make some money, but also do shows, which is what we really enjoy. So, um, yeah, we started our, our ABC, um, regular Tuesday night club last night. So that was very cool. And people can, people can just kind of tune in via laptops and mobiles. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah. So ABC is Always Be Comedy Club uh, set up in Kennington. Very, very cool place. Everybody loves it. It's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's a, Zoom, it's a Zoom comedy night. Rachel and I do it as a, as a double act. And then we each do a, our own set. And then we culminate in a, a live lip sync battle. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's three quid. And we were like, last night was the first one. We were like, oh. Will it be enough? Have we got enough stuff? And we did an hour and a half. So, um, yeah, so it's a pound for 30 minutes. It's really, it's pretty good value. Sounds like value to, value then, to me. Brilliant. What's yeah, it? and then we're working up towards these, uh, the drive-in club gigs, which start, I think the first one's on the 3rd of July. They've got like Daniel Schloss and uh, Dom Jolly uh, out in Brent Cross. Very, very cool. And people can like, you know, you can order food and get it delivered to your car. Oh, and, wow. You know, and it's all, it's happening on stage. It's not on a screen. It's happening there on stage in front of you. So I think people are sort of trying to work out, aren't they, after yesterday's announcement, okay, what can I do? What can I not do? And where will I be safe and all the rest of it? And this is, uh, well, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's really awesome. Plus, we're giving hundreds of tickets away to um, NHS workers. So, oh, great. That's, yeah, that's it's really good. Rewarding. You know, th- I mean, the new normal is is kind of it's a terrible phrase, isn't it? But but some of the compromises that we're making in terms of live opportunities are actually still like quite rewarding and quite lovely. You know, and, and actually, yeah, I, I sort of saw a photograph of of a cafe earlier on where where you can see barriers up between tables and like an old bugbear of mine was I never really liked the idea that the people on the table next to me that I didn't know were just listening to my conversation it's a lot harder for them to do that now it'll feel a lot more intimate you know what it is 
But, mate, you miss the opportunity. Under those circumstances, you take a book with you and you listen to them. Uh, I've heard all sorts of fascinating stuff in, in cafes near us. It's really the main reason for going, especially <laughs> in the morning. I think people, people are less guarded, weirdly. So you're going to need a periscope now then? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. It's, it's certainly a look, isn't it? You know? I'd like, yeah. I'd like a yeah, look yeah. with my periscope, please. <laughs> just just poke, your, poke your phone over the top of the dividing booth and uh, <laughs> go for it. Just film them, you know. I'm sure people won't mind. You could just, it's okay. It's a Zoom. You're fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've, been apart, we've been apart for long enough that people will understand the need. <laughs> You think they'll get to it? Connect to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I love exactly. it. I love it. So, so you said you both had coronavirus. I mean, yeah. Uh, is, I mean, is, is it confirmed or just like you had all the symptoms? And no, we we haven't we haven't got a test. Not, not least because if you've already had it, um, the testing for the amount of money it costs to get a post viral test, I'm not really persuaded as to how accurate they are. I think I think they're better all the time. So I don't want to. Come do down the, the the science of it but yeah i mean we we were absolutely knocked for six in in early march we had a lot of the symptoms not all of them but the biggest one uh, for both of us but lasted for ages for me was i lost my sense of smell completely mm-hmm. for two weeks and my sense of taste which when you're a foodie anyway and on lockdown so meals are kind of the highlight of your day <laughs> and you can't taste them i was absolutely inconsolable um, but it's back now, so um, I, yeah, I'm, uh, among, amongst my other activities, I'm a um, I'm a level one cheese master. Wow! Uh, I was a, yeah, I was a judge at the World Cheese Awards, and hopefully, we'll be a judge at this year's World Cheese Awards. But we'll see if they go ahead. But um, yeah, so kind of there was a while there. I've been sort of helping to promote British cheese makers because uh, blessed be the cheese makers, they are having a really really tough time. And there was a while there where I was eating like really gourmet British cheeses and couldn't couldn't taste them, couldn't even smell them. So uh, yeah, it was it was bleak days, man. How about you? Have you been well? Do you know I I'm like you, although I can't confirm it. Early doors, I did sort of think I had a couple of weeks where I just I certainly I just wasn't me, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, sure, just, sure. Just everything was a little bit off and everything. And I just, yeah. but I, it was also that time, I don't know if other people felt this, but, you know, when you were absolutely immersed in it, we were bombarded with what the symptoms were and, you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. et cetera. You just kind of, you almost think yourself into it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, no, I agree. I agree, definitely. I had a day when when we were ill, when, you know, I had loads of the symptoms and then suddenly my chest was really tight. And I was like, oh, no, yeah. oh, God, it's gone to my lungs and I can't breathe. But actually, I wonder now if that wasn't a bit psychosomatic. Yeah. But, there, you know, there's a, a friend of mine, a, a scientist friend of mine, he's brilliant. And we were, he got poorly the same day as me. And we were checking in with each other on the phone, like, how are you? Where's it gone to? And how are the ups and downs? And we both had a few days where like a bit better and then a massive crash. And then suddenly he disappeared and I couldn't get hold of him and he wasn't on social media. He wasn't posting anything and I was terrified. And then eventually he kind of popped up and he said, yeah, you know, I, I went to the next level, got pneumonia. Um, I was, I was really, really scared. He's fine though. He's, he's made it through, but yeah, it does. It affects people in, um, in different ways. And as uh, now, you know, affects people's, 
not just the virus, but like people's sense of well-being um, and what they feel okay with in very different ways as well. I think that's part of the, the tough thing about coming out of this. Yeah, is you know some people are ready to pop off to the hairdresser or you know dying to get in the pub for that first pint, and for other people. They're like, not only am I not going to do that, but please, please, please don't do that. Um, so I think, you know, we we need to be quite measured and careful about how we proceed from here, which is why I'm, I'm sorry to be waving the flag and plugging so hard, but these drive-in comedy, uh, the drive-in comedy club thing, I just think is so cool. Like the way they've set it up, it'll be just like a festival. Food can be delivered to your car. You can order it from loads of different vendors they bring it to your car and then there's live entertainment on stage so from our point of view yeah yeah, like it's amazing isn't it and we're giving hundreds of free tickets away to nhs workers and stuff from our point of view we're all just desperate to get back on stage you know we're we're show-offs by 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 nature and play to a live audience and this seems to me to kind of tick all those boxes. So, um, well, yeah, it's very cool. You mentioned the Zoom gigs, right? So so what's yeah. that like as a performer? How do you get your... Because you can't hear, let's say you've got 100 people in, in on your laptop watching you. You yeah. can't hear them all laugh, can you? Presumably they're all muted. So how do you kind of... No, it depends. How do you read so the room? For, for ABC, so Rachel and I are doing this this regular Tuesday night thing with, with ABC, Always Be Comedy. And um, with that, some people who are either regulars or I think maybe pay a bit extra. I'm not really sure. It's only three quid. So, you know, Um, but we can hear them. And also they can heckle us. So (laughs) (laughs) so they can either type in a heckle or they can they can live heckle. Um, uh, So, yeah, with that, you can hear. For me, the gigs where you can't hear anyone um, are very difficult. You, what happens is the comedian starts up and we start fine and then we get to what would be a big moment in your set or a big idea or whatever where there's usually a big laugh and and then that's not there and you end up going, anyway, <laughs> sort of moving on or, go, or looking rather dejected going, well, that normally gets a big laugh, yeah. but we'll biff on. Yeah. And then yeah. you speed up and you find you've done like a 30-minute set in about 15, 15 minutes. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> So this is what everyone's doing. Actually, like everyone's just trying to work out how to do it. The you know? punters get twice value for money because you're racing. Oh no, kidding! Set. You have to double up. Yeah, yeah. Well, have you ever seen Dara O'Brien live? Yes, I have. Yes. So Dara does. I always, I've said to Dara many times after after shows, like, mate, if you went at normal talking speed, right, that's three tours you've just done there. <laughs> I've never seen anyone deliver more jokes than, than Dara O'Brien in a. Yeah, in a set. Actually, Nish uh, Nish Kumar's doing the the drive-in thing as well. When Nish gets uh, head of steam up as well, man, he's fast. The other Incredible. one I can think of is Milton Jones, who is just like one line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After, you know, it's just like that. Oh! That's mind blowing to me. Yeah. Milton's doing the drive-in thing too. Tim right. Vine and um, Stuart Francis oh, too. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Might as well, just great. I think I, that's the sort of thing. That's the time when you just invest in a camper van and you just take up a residency. Oh my god! Can you imagine that would be so great. <laughs> just a month working? long, a month long festival. Just lean out the window and shout for another round of burritos to be delivered <laughs> to you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. well up for it. I'm well up for it. Marcus, I have to ask you, because you mentioned the cheese judge thing, which is remarkable. Yeah. There are a few 
kind of spurious facts out there about you, and I don't know how real they are. Uh, go on, let's let's verify. <laughs> well, the first let me one, guess. The, well, you probably have heard all of these many, many times before because they are public domain. But the first one is the yeah. podium dancer. True. <laughs> True story. So when I was seventeen years old, from sort of seventeen into eighteen. <laughs> Believe it or not, I lost 13 stone wow. in seven months. Bloody I was a big lad, right? I was an absolute whopper. I was 24 stone, and I went down to uh, 11 stone in seven months. Crikey. Right, I just completely changed my life, and, you know, you can imagine. And um, I'd, I'd been a big fat goth before then, and then I kind of – when I found this new body, I was like, oh my God, this feels amazing. So I started going out clubbing and uh, loved it, just absolutely loved it. And then, yeah, I was at um, Ministry of Sound dancing one night and I uh, got kind of talent spotted and yeah, ended up being a, a podium dancer for about a year and a half. Good times, man. <laughs> is, Good times. That is incredible. I thought it was going to be like, yeah, for a friend once in a club, but no, it was... No, no, no. No, no I got paid. <laughs> I got paid. This this lady don't dance for nothing. Um, yeah, yeah. Very important to clarify, though. Podium, not pole. Not, okay, different not pole. disciplines. Big thing. Not pole. Big thing. No. Up, up on a stage rather than spinning around. That's right, yeah. And mostly dress. <laughs> well, the next Occasionally one... Occasionally the top came off. <laughs> well, the next one I'm assuming you had to be very heavily dressed for. Working in an, on an oil rig in the North Sea? True story. Yeah, I worked on an oil rig for about eight months. And bizarrely enough, believe it or not, this crossed over with the period in my life when I was a podium dancer. So (laughs) I would go and work on the rig for a month and then come back uh, because you have to have this compulsory time off. And then I'd come back and go and work as a dancer. I was really living the life of Alex from the movie Flashdance. Welder by day, dancer by night. But yeah, no, I did. I worked on an oil rig. Did the two lives ever merge, Marcus? Did you? Did you? You have to be very, you're very careful on an oil rig not to reveal to the other men that you're a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I was already camp enough. I think I had, you know, I had long hair and I wore pink jeans, so I think they, <laughs> they'd already drawn their own conclusions. And I did like, I did used to sneak off on the rig. There are not many places you can sneak off to, but you can go down inside the leg on these exploration rigs you just open the hatches and there's all of these different kind of chambers that you can climb down into and uh, i used to go down in there and shut the lid behind me put my music on and practice my moves that's hilarious yeah i just yeah 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 i have this vision of of the lads from the oil rig just randomly showing up in your venue one night you not realizing yeah 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 with one of them (laughs) just oh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh, hello, lad. Yeah. Wasn't expecting you. <laughs> <laughs> could be. It could be a whole new story. Uh, th- th- there's two more, both of which I know happen to be true, but are just lovely facts. So you know, we've got to bring them up. You, you're a pop star as well. You've had a, a, a top eleven. Oh yeah. Hit. Yeah. My my number eleven chart smash. Yes. Yeah. So I did a I did a sketch show many years ago uh, called Barking, and uh, so this was the cast for for Barking, right? David Williams. Catherine Tate, uh, Ahmed Jalili, um, me, uh, 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 anyway, blah, I'm trying to remember all the people who were on it. Oh, Reese Thomas, 
um, you know, like just an incredible lineup of a, of a sketch set. show. Nice. Yeah, and I did this. I did this character on it who was uh, like a, an airline pilot whose announcements were just they'd sort of drift between a normal airline announcement and then poetry and weird stuff. Anyway, there was a there was a bit in it where I asked my co-pilot if he smoked. I said, "Do you smoke, Paul?" And he says, "No, I don't." And I go, "Me neither. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't smoke cigars." I don't smoke a pipe. I don't smoke the reefer, right? <laughs> and it got sampled. So years later, one of the guys I, I wrote it with, Dan Tetzel, was it, he was in, I think it was Tower Records, and he went, he phoned me and he went, mate, can you hear this? And this sort of, um, what was it, UK Garage tune came on, and I listened to it and went, well, that's us. And yeah, we ended up, um, it, it was the sample that, it's a certain kind of bandwidth of people who know that tune. It's yeah. called um, it's called "I Don't Smoke," I think, by DJ Decline. It's, it's, um, it's but yeah, it's it's "I Don't Smoke Derefa," according to YouTube. There it is. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't smoke Derefa. Um, really? You know, it's it's a certain genre of music. Um, but uh, but yeah, number eleven chart smash, man, and it gets re-released from time to time. I love it. And uh, we you... we go racing up the dance chart. <laughs> do you get royalties for it, or did they just nick your vocal? And, yeah, and yeah, that? yeah. Oh, no, do. we do, we do. I, I, I say we do, we did. Um, we've we've probably owed some more money somewhere, but uh, that's, you know, <laughs> you make the, you make these things and be grateful for the opportunity, frankly. <laughs> That's another story. I think when, when people hear royalties, they think, "Oh, yeah, that's a that's a sweet dollar coming in through the door all the time." I've I get I regularly get checks for less than a pound. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> right, not not for that, but for various things I've done over the years. Like there's a, there's definitely a misconception about like things you've made and all the rest of it. But yeah, regularly I'll I'll get a check for like thirty seven p that gets sent to my agent for something that I made ten years ago. No, no, you know, never look a gift horse in the mouth, but, no. um, yeah. <laughs> Crikey, barely worth the yeah. postage. Um, my, last well, one, sure. my last one for you, Marcus, because the, the show is called Driven, so we like to find out what drives people and, uh, yes. and, and what gets you up in the morning, what makes you, what makes you do what you do. So in 1996, yeah. you were nominated, voted, won the, the BBC's Best New Comedian of 1996. So, obviously, yeah, many, I won, many, yeah. many moons ago, that... that must have been amazing, but also came with a fair degree of pressure. I'd say you'd lived up to it, definitely. But but did it at the time? Oh, thanks, man. Well, you just have, obviously. You know, but but you know, did it was it, have- it was. Do you know what? It was huge. It was so huge. It was the, the BBC New Comedian, uh, which happens at the Edinburgh Festival every year, and um, uh, yeah, there was loads of great comics on. It was hosted by Ardlo Hanlon. And um, with Corky and the Juice Pigs doing the uh, entertainment again, that's quite a niche reference. But no, for those that I know, that, they'll be elated. They're the, they're so the, yeah, and the I um, Eskimos, aren't they? That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The amazing Phil Nickel and Sean Cullen. Um, so yeah, I I was gigging a lot because I was doing a show at the festival. I was doing a sketch show with the guys that I wrote the airline pilot with. In fact, we were doing that sketch. I think so. Um, yeah, and that, so I was gigging a lot, and so I was kind of I was match fit and very excited about it, and also genuinely terrified. And um, yeah, I won. I won BBC New Comedian of the Year. And as far as I was concerned, like that was it. I'd made it. Yeah, I was on the same level as the as my greatest comedy heroes. And I remember phoning 
various clubs in London going, um, hi, hello, yes, it's uh, it's Marcus Brickstock. And they'd be like, right, <laughs> well, what do you want? And I'm like, yeah, look, I was the I was actually the winner of the BBC New Comedian of the Year. So, uh, and they'd be like, all right, mate, well, look, um, you can do five minutes unpaid in six months' time, and then we've got a window. If that goes all right, you can do seven minutes uh, in November, the year after that. Genuinely, like that's that's how it is. On people are just trying to get in through the door. So it was kind of. Like the best thing that happened gave me a huge confidence boost, and it also you know, got me on the telly and on the radio and yeah. stuff. Um, but it took it took then years to really, to actually, to, frankly, to get properly good at, at, at comedy. You know, it, it's I, I've always liked how direct stand up is. If they're not laughing, you're not doing your job. And there are circumstances occasionally where people are too pissed or whatever and you can't, you know, the, the gig's never going to work or it's just badly laid out. But broadly speaking, you've just got to make them laugh. And I've always liked how kind of measurable uh, that is, which is also why, you know, these gigs that we're doing now in, in lockdown and trying to work out sort of the best way to, to do them is uh, it's pretty scary because most of us have lost 90% of our ability to make money and do what we're good at. Yes. but Sort of, you know, it reminds me in some ways of, of when I started out of going, okay, how do I do this then? How do we find the way through this particular um, thing? And it's kind of, the, the challenge is, is exciting to me. Like, you know, the driving gig will be weird. I'm used to doing festival gigs. I should be by rights at this very moment driving to Glastonbury. Um, I might still, <laughs> I haven't ruled <laughs> just, it out. Just check um, it out, yeah. You know, so I've done loads of big outdoor uh, festival gigs and stuff, but each one that you do has got kind of a different way of, of playing and stuff and trying to work out the best way to do it. It's, uh, well, it's fun, isn't it? You know, it's, new challenges. It's, it's part of the game. It's part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Resilience yeah. is key. I think Marcus, it's, it's been a yeah. real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. What for a delight, man. Today. Thanks so much for having me on. You've been great. You've been really great. And who have you, you got? A, you got a formula one driver on there. Well, more than a formula one driver, mate, a formula one world champion, the one and only That's Nico so Rosberg. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can you tell it? I mean, I'm not formula one, but I have quite recently done an online speed awareness course <laughs> if that's i mean i just don't know whether he's ever done one of those but i did it online and uh, i'm probably more aware of speed now that i'm not able to drive or go anywhere um than i've ever been <laughs> well there's always mario when in doubt mario kart that's my solution <laughs> yes you know yeah exactly yeah 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 well it's very short thank Mate, you so thanks much. so much really appreciate it what a joy you've been an absolute gent i wish you all the very best and i hope we get to catch and you and to you soon. pal have a great one take care man. Yes. all the best driven with andy J. driven with andy J on talk radio in association with paramex digital you dream it we bring it to life find out more at drivenchat.com now, my next guest, I am elated to be able to say, is an absolute winner, former F1 world champion and all-round superstar, and a man who has so much to say about the future. It's Mr. Nico Rosberg. Nico, thank you very much for your time today. How are you? I'm quite happy because I seem to fit quite nicely to the title of Driven in all senses of the word. Do you know what? That is something that I wanted to ask you from the beginning, is of course, Driven is, it's about what drives people. It's about what gets people out of bed in the morning and, and keeps them going and makes them excited and makes them want to do bigger and better things. And I was gonna say, in your life and your career, 
you've been driven in two different ways. You know, there was the, the beginning of your career, which was your entire childhood up until 2016, which was becoming Formula One world champion. And then there was the second chapter in your career, which is, which is what you're living now. So just quickly about F1, what kept you getting up each day? Because the amount of training and practice and, and focus you have to have to even compete at, at the most basic of level in, in motorsport is non-stop, isn't it? Well, basically I'm so competitive as a person and I just have to win. When I'm doing something, I have to win. I have to become the best. And Rosberg, on his debut, gets himself up into the points. What a brilliant performance from young Rosberg, no doubt about it. The problem was, however, that I had a certain guy called Lewis Hamilton next to me with exactly the same machinery, same machinery as I had. So, so that didn't exactly make it any easier to reach my goal of winning. But at the same time, it's an opportunity because when you're faced with such a huge challenge yourself, you have an opportunity to grow beyond the realms of, you, of what you thought was possible. And that's what I did in the end, particularly also the defeat. Getting defeated by Lewis, they made me so damn motivated because I never, ever wanted to feel that kind of failure and defeat ever again. So the motivation in me was like unbeatable in the last year in 2016. And and that was all the assets then uh, which propulsed me uh, to winning the, the championship in the end. Obviously, you, you secured it. You achieved your childhood dream. What did that feel like? Did, did it seem real? It doesn't seem real because it, for me, it was impossible to win the Formula One World Championship. Uh, growing up, it was never a realistic goal. It's just, it's impossible. I mean, look, the legends, Michael Schumacher, Mika Hakkinen, no way are you going to be able to do something that's somewhere similar. Okay, not as many times, but still somewhere similar. And uh, even to the last lap, to the last lap in Abu Dhabi fighting Lewis, uh, you know, Lewis being one of the best of all time, you just, it's, it's always going to be, you always think, okay, he's just some, somehow he's going to do something now, even in the last lap, last corner, which, which is going to get him the win as as he always wins. For Nico Rosberg, 34 years after his father Keke became world champion, is about to see the chequered flag and the podium finish that he needed. Lewis Hamilton wins the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Nico Rosberg is second. He takes the championship 34 years after his father. It's like father, it's like son for the Rosbergs. It takes time to sink in because personally it's just so damn big. It's ridiculous. Uh, it takes time to sink in, but uh, it was spectacular. And the feeling then is just a feeling of total fulfillment because it's a goal that I've pursued for 20 years, such a long time, and then it comes true. Yeah. You cross that line and no one can take that away from you anymore. Such a big feeling of fulfillment. And, and then instinctively, it just felt the right moment to say, okay, I'm moving on now. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing which, which was so fascinating is because obviously when we talk about people being driven, you know, people have different lives, different career goals, etc. You know, some people, they want to earn a million pounds. Some people want to be famous. Some people want to find love. Some people want to be a parent. In your case, you had this very clearly defined goal that may not have seemed achievable, but you were going to do it. You knew you had the talent. You knew you had a fast car, etc. You knew you had a you know, phenomenal racer. But even so, as you've alluded to there, becoming Formula One world champion, it, it, it was fairyland stuff. So when you did it, you know, the, the big biggest goal of all, to then just sort of step away a few days later and say, okay, that's it, I'm, I'm done. What was that like? Was that, was that like a huge relief or was it a frightening decision to make? It was very, very scary. I mean, that was, uh, that was extremely scary because it was a huge disruption in my life and I had no plan. I had no plan for afterwards, so I was jumping into a void. At the same time, uh, for me, it was a very rational decision because it was always clear to me that I, my ex exit was going to be very important. Um, also because being driven into and being too extremely driven 
for me personally was going to be unhealthy in the long term. If I just want more and more and more always, it's going to end up in, in a disaster. I was aware of all those things. So uh, the timing had to be right. And sport is limited, you know, uh, maximum I had a couple of years left anyways. So uh, sport is limited and, and the exit was important to me. And it was the best possible moment. There was never going to be another moment as good as that. That's almost impossible. Um, and, and now looking back, I can say it's, I'm still floating on cloud nine as a result because my last memory uh, of one of the most powerful experiences in my life is still uh, just so damn amazing. And, uh, and so it's a huge asset for my, for my well-being in life, you know, and I'm just super thankful and that's why it was the right call. But I'm very sorry to everybody who was following me and supporting me, of course, because I totally understand they would love to continue watching me battle Lewis because uh, I think uh, people really enjoyed that. But, you know, I mean, I think we had some great years and uh, got to move on. It's Nico Rosberg and Hamilton's onto the grass and Hamilton's had a massive crash and he's crashed into his teammate. The two silver arrows have crashed on the opening lap. How could we not enjoy it, Nico? It was fabulous stuff. But of course, you know, one thing that's going to surround you forevermore is people saying to you things like, because you're a great advocate for uh, electrification, for example, people are always going to say, oh, oh, you know, what do you reckon? Will you get a seat in Formula E and all this kind of stuff? And you, I thought you had drawn a line in the sand, which was like, I'm never racing again. And then I find that out you've been in a sim and you're e-racing. What's going on, Nico? Well, I'm confused. Have you, are you still, are you thinking of coming back? What's happening? <laughs> so well that was for uh, for Heineken uh, for my partner and uh, it's it's for a good cause because I'm involved with them to save lives on the road uh, we're doing huge road safety campaigns with them and so it was for a good cause so I was I was very happy to do that and to be honest I was really really quick in sims uh, in my in my career back in the day okay um, so I thought I thought okay here we go let's spend a bit of time practicing like a couple of hours and I'm going to be right there with the best in the world Little did I know, I mean, these guys are just incredibly quick because <laughs> they have the same talent as the most talented F1 drivers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they spend so much time in there. It's insane. Like I was doing perfect laps and I was one and a half seconds away from them per lap. So that was like extremely demotivating for me. So since since then, I haven't spent much time in the same anymore. But uh, <laughs> they're incredibly sim racers. Well, look, for, for what it's worth, I can recommend Mario Kart. That is uh, it's... my favorite game of all time. I used to spend hours. I think I was one of the first fastest in the world back in the day. I used to do time trials, just trying to beat my time. Hours and hours and hours and hours. Brilliant. You see, I would say, I bet you weren't the fastest in the world in the day because I was really good. But, you know, you've sort of proven your speed <laughs> quite a bit more than me. So, you know, I'll, I'll hand that one to you. The big question, of course, Nico, because everybody, you, you've got so much affection across the world, not just from motor, motorsport, but, you know, the, the whole world. But everybody knows you, everybody thinks you're fabulous and, and has a, a great fondness for you. And so the big question is what Nico did next. You know, you, you decided you left F1 and you decided to actually use your time in a very different way, didn't you? You thought, right, rather than entertain and, and race, I'm going to educate, inspire and inform. I did 10 years of studying psychology. Uh, in my time in F1, really to help me with sports mentality, but also to help me in my life in the end, uh, to get even more uh, mental well-being. And what I learned most is that it's I, I'm, I'm a strong believer that I must more and more dedicate time to a life of service, uh, to being of service to others, because not only is that good for others, but in the end, it will also be good for myself. What you give uh, comes back one day. Um, and, uh, and there I found my positioning now as a sustainability entrepreneur. So everything I'm doing uh, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as you can see behind me, <laughs> those are many of my investment cases floating around behind me. Um, I'm, I'm really invested in particularly in mobility of the future. Uh, so which is uh, greener, greener mobility, 
and uh, and greener energy and all these kind of things. That's what I'm doing. And so what has been the, the sort of, because of course we know that green mobility and, and, and transportation of the future, we talk about electrification. A lot of people also think that hydrogen power cells are going to be a big, big player. You know, what's what's your money on, as it were? Because as, as an entrepreneur, obviously you have literally put your money where your mouth is. Um, no, first of all, it's on electric mobility for the for the medium term. Um, that's a clear case. And, and it's a huge opportunity to, be, to make mobility more sustainable. Of course, we still do need to have more renewable energy sources feeding the, feeding the cars with electricity. Because at the moment, if you take Germany as an example, we have 60% of the energy uh, uh, from going into electric cars coming from coal, uh, coal plants. So obviously that's really bad. And, and that makes electric cars in Germany sometimes even less sustainable at the moment than some combustion engines. Um, but it's the future and the path is right. So we need more renewable energy sources. And then we also need to have the whole battery recycling process uh, going in a, in a much better manner, because at the moment there's not really a great plan for that yet. Um, but so, so, yeah, I'm sure of electric mobility. After that comes hydrogen, as you say, but that's going to be 25 years, I think, because the whole infrastructure there is going to be a huge mission to set up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you when you think about buying an electric car, particularly here in the UK, you know the, the stories you hear about people's reluctance to get involved are partly about range. Of course, uh, electric cars also come at a bit of a premium at the moment. They're, they're, they're quite dear. They can be at least. And then the other thing is, you know, we, we think about our mobile phones. You know, you get a mobile phone and it works beautifully for the first few months. You can use a whole day and, and you know, the battery's still there. But the battery does. We always, we've all seen our batteries degrade and people are afraid that if they get an electric car, the battery's going to do exactly the same thing with a mobile and just kind of disappear on you one day. What's, what's your experience? So it's totally right that there's still some, some resistance, uh, justifiably so, um, for all the reasons that you mentioned, the range, the cost. Um, and and the price price drop uh, being when 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 it is a used car all those all those things matter and that's why it's not mass adopted yet but we're in this transition period and as soon as we get the price to being equal or below the combustion engine those are the kind of kind of levers that we desperately need now to get electric mobility really to take off and I'm sure that the governments are, are going to be supporting more and more I mean we saw in Germany now they just dropped the taxes on them and and have supported in other ways. And, and then we also have still the infrastructure problem that at the moment, if you decide to take a big drive with the electric car, A, you might not get far enough and B, you, you don't know if there's a charger there. The other day I drove, to, uh, I drove from Berlin to Leipzig and I got there with a Tesla and there was no charger in the whole city. So I was just stuck. And I complained, I complained to the mayor. I complained to the mayor of Leipzig in person and he got really angry at me because he said, we have 140 chargers, superchargers in this city. What are you talking about, Mr. Rosberg? And it turns out that they were just not adaptable to the Tesla car. Oh. So it's just, it's, it's just fragmented and everybody trying to do their own thing. And that's a huge problem. Yeah, the manufacturers need to, 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 to kind of speak. You go to a petrol pump right now, one petrol fills all cars. You know, if you're a petrol car, you can use any petrol in it. It, it, it must be the same with an electric car, mustn't it? You know, you, we must have the situation that any electric car can pull up to any charger and be able to get a charge, surely. Further than, uh, than cars, I've also invested quite heavily into uh, flying taxis. Uh, I don't know if you can see one behind what? me. Yes, <laughs> yes. Nico, Nico has the most brilliant backdrop. We're, we're chatting on Skype right now, and he's got. So, is this your city that, that you're sitting in front of, then, Nico? Because we've got future cars. There's, you know, there's a cool landscape. There's kind of uh, skyscrapers with plants growing up them, and, and all kinds of awesome things. And there's a flying taxi. So, uh, right, come on. That's just a drawing. Is this is this real? What's what's going on here? Well, this is the way a city is going to look in the future, and uh, and I like to use the diagram because I can I can show a lot of examples 
of what the of what the future is going to look like and you've got the flying taxi somewhere there I don't know um, which I've invested in as I said and and I really believe in flying taxis because it's going to be a huge opportunity for us to increase our well-being by reducing commuting and by being able to the, to live outside of cities in the green um, because the, the the flying taxis are going to be so efficient and so fast and so cheap uh, so that's another big advantage they're really going to democratize flying because once they go autonomous they're not going to cost much more than a taxi today per kilometer. So it's really going to democratize flying and decongest cities, uh, let, reduce the emissions in cities, reduce the noise. It's going to be uh, big. And people think, oh, this is like in a sci-fi movie. One of the portfolio companies of mine are going to be launching commercial flights in the next two years. So in the next two years, you and I can jump in one of these things. It's going to be Singapore or Dubai probably, uh, but it's around the corner. So does that mean, because we, we have seen, I think it's, one of the members of the royal family in Dubai has been in, in one of these flying taxis, haven't they? Does that mean that you, because you've obviously invested, you must have been up close and personal with some prototype vehicles. Have you had a fly yourself? Not yet, unfortunately, no. Oh. Um, but that, the royal family in Dubai was actually the, the company I'm invested in. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to the first flight uh, very, very soon, hopefully. Now that you're known as an entrepreneur, Nico, and obviously everybody is aware that you know, you're, you're looking at sort of sensible, sustainable, future-focused opportunities. Do you get some of the most crazy things coming across your desk that do feel like a sci-fi movie? Do you have people kind of going to you say, hey, listen, we know you've invested in this and this. Well, have you seen this? Have you had some mad things proposed to you yet? Or is there a bit of a sense check before it gets to you? I see so much technology coming through because I've created one of the leading festivals for green technology in Europe. And it's yeah. called Green Tech Festival, and uh, we had our first event last year in Berlin, and we had 40,000 participants. So it was a, a massive event, and, and this is really one of my lighthouse projects at the moment. And it's a platform where we get, where we get all the thought leaders together and all the, all the greatest green technologies together. And this year's event is going to be on the 16th to 18th of September. Again, it's happening in Berlin. And we're also going virtual. So uh, for all of you, if you're not able to, to come in person, check out the virtual module, uh, 16th to 18th September, greentechfestival.com. I mean, Germany has a more open door policy than we have here in the UK right now. You've adjusted to the virus in a slightly different way. So does that mean that the Green Tech Festival, you will still be able to get large numbers of people there as well as having the online experience and the virtual experience? Well, of course, we need to stick to the social distancing measures and all the other measures uh, to take care of the corona situation in the festival. But uh, events are allowed and, and we will have a couple of thousand people there uh, at different times, you know, maybe not everybody in the same time. But we're planning it accordingly and, um, and we're going ahead full speed. The only thing, of course, is that we, we're not going to be able to have 40,000 people in the exhibition. So that's the only module which we need to ramp down. But apart from that, it's going ahead with the same kind of content as, as last year. Brilliant. I mean, last year's event was massive. Uh, what's, what's particularly standing out for you for this year? What are the highlights in your head that you think, do you know what, you're going to love this? Um, we're going to have a, a virtual hour where we're going to get uh, like really some of the most inspirational people together, all talking about the Paris Agreement and the 1.5 degree climate uh, global warming target, which is so crucial to achieve in this decade. And everybody's going to refer back to that with their projects and with what they're doing. And that's going to be, uh, I think, super big. So again, you're welcome to tune in for that. It's called uh, Switch Green. Ah, it's going to be amazing. Um, Nico, it's, it's such a joy talking to you. You know, you, you've got this great focus of the world you know do you ever sort of think of yourself as a futurist because obviously you're an entrepreneur but you're 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 investing in future technologies and you've obviously seen lots and lots of data to see how cities are going to be transformed in the coming decades so do you, do you ever kind of think of yourself as a bit of a crystal ball gazer 
want a little bit, but I'm very much investing also in the now because some of these technologies are ready to go now and they are already going now. I'm driven to inspire my young kids to also live a life of service and, for example, preserve the environment or if they have other passions than different ways. I absolutely love that. What a what a mission statement, Nika. That's absolutely fantastic. Is is any of this driven nature to preserve the future and to, to, to leave a better planet for your children as well? Is any of this is there any guilt to obviously your former career at F1 where, you know, we know that lots of fossil fuels are burnt to make that happen because they're incredibly fast cars going around racetracks and, you know, aeroplanes full of people traveling the world left, right and center. Is there is there a degree of guilt and you're, you're balancing it out in the equivalent of a big company planting a million trees, you know, because they've done something that needs to be offset, as it were, or is it just, no, I'm, I'm doing this because it feels right? Let's remember that if one is also going climate new, uh, emission free 2030, they've very set uh, ambitious goals in line with yeah. all other big corporations in the world. And we also need to remember that F1's hybrid engine is most likely the most efficient engine in the world at the moment and more efficient and environmentally friendly than electric engines, than fully electric engines. Um, so F1 is on, a, is on a good path there and, and they're doing more and more. So I'm proud of the direction that they're taking and that, that they're also taking sustainability so seriously since, uh, since some time now. Yeah, no, well said, well said. Thank you for picking me up on that. I'm glad you did. Um, Nico, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, just quickly, what's next for you? You seem to be so busy. You've got so much going on, but other than obviously the Green Tech Fest in September, what else are you looking forward to for the rest of 2020? What else is, is in your diary that's going to be a special moment for you? Um, well, I'm a dragon. I'm a dragon in Germany on Dragon's Den. <laughs> That's really cool. What a great answer. Middle of, we're in the middle of filming now. And as soon as I can, we're going to end up filming the, the rest of the season. And the first show is going live end of August. And I'm the sustainability on, in, investor, you know, in, in, on the show. Um, so investing really into sustainable, into startups that, that are like focused on sustainability and sustainable topics. Um, and so this is really a big project and it's not easy eh? because I'm sitting next to like the biggest and most successful startup billionaires in Germany <laughs> um, you know, who've been doing it for 40 years. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm up to speed now and it's exciting and it's a good challenge and, and it's been quite successful. I've got some great investments already so far, which uh, I'll be able to tell you about in autumn. What a sentence. I love that you were able to just drop that in. I'm a dragon. And it just just confirm this for me, Nico. Is is it your own cash, right? It is your own pile of money? Because in the UK version, there are, there's like a pile of money sitting on a table. Is that is that a prop or have you brought in your own cash to, to, to stake your claim? So I don't know how it is in the UK, but in, in Germany, I come to the show with my suitcases full of cash and I put them <laughs> on the table. And, then, and when I invest, I hand over my own suitcases. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, unfortunately, that's the way it needs to be done uh, to make the show authentic as well. That's important, you know, that really we have skin in the game. Um, but I'm happy as well because you can have success then with the companies and there's incredible companies coming through. Uh, so that's that's how it goes. Yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. And do you obviously over here when an, when a dragon is not interested, they're just like, no, I'm out. I'm out. Have you got like a catchphrase? Have you have you perfected the way that you make it clear that you're not interested? Ich bin raus. <laughs> fantastic i can't wait to watch it german equivalent of uh, i'm out in a very dry in a very dry manner but it's different from nation to nation like if you look at the u.s guys they can be so harsh on the startups in germany i don't know how it is in the uk but in germany we have to be quite careful because uh, like the public uh, the public loves all the all the founders 
And if you if you uh, go too hard on them, you get you get a big backlash. Brilliant. So you need to be a little bit more careful in Germany. Brilliant. I love it. Well, I can't wait to watch it. Um, Nico, your company has been fabulous today. Thank you so much for your generosity and, and, and all your time. Really interesting stuff happening. Uh, and I think really it's a case of watch this space with you, isn't it? Nico's world is a fun one. Oh, and please check out my, my Instagram. You can win my electric motorbike at, at the moment. What? I have a raffle going to raise funds for, for Corona and for those suffering from Corona. And it's a high-performance electric motorbike customized by myself. Oh. So if you want to check out on my Instagram, you can, you can win the motorbike with one ticket. You just need to buy one ticket, which I, I believe is 10, 10 pounds. And you can win my £30,000 worth electric motorbike. So uh, you can all look into that, please. Wow, I'm going there in the advert break. Nico, thank you so much. What a guest. You've been superb. You really, you have been a champion. Thank you very much for joining us on Driven today. We really appreciate it. The Andy J Podcast. So there you go. Nico Rosberg and Marcus Bridgestock. That's, uh, that's a great, that's a great night at the pub, isn't it? Those are two great lads that you'd want to spend some time with and learn more about. Loads of fun. Nico in particular, a side to him that I've never heard before. And... I mean, it's like the shackles have come off, you know, now that he's away from racing and now that he's just allowed to live his life and enjoy himself. And he's clearly very content and settled and happy. You know, he's got his wife and his family now and he's obviously just at peace with himself and he's doing a lot of good for the planet. Really, really enjoyed chatting to him. What a guest. So much fun. It's always lovely when you can speak to a world champion. And he was, well, champion. Really enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying the Andy J podcast. Please do check out, well everything we're doing. I'd love it if you could tell your friends about it, like and subscribe. We're very new, but we're hoping that we're going to go as big as possible. I've got lots and lots of plans for this show, and we're not one of these pods that's going to disappear in five episodes time. I have got so many guests lined up. We're going to run and run and run, and the names I hope and think will get bigger and bigger and bigger. So thank you for being an early adopter. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you continue to spread the word. Let's keep on, shall we? Big guests on the way next week. I would tell you who they are, but I haven't quite worked out what order we're putting them out yet. Just stick around and let that little notification flash up on your phone next week when the next pod drops. Thank you for your company. We'll see you again soon. The Andy J Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.